This is Saving the Game, a Christian podcast about tabletop role-playing and collaborative storytelling. Recorded Thursday, July 25th of 2019, it's episode 158. In this episode, Chrissy Woodward joins us to break down her first experience running a game. Plus, underserved tabletop RPG genres, the Innocence role-playing game, arguing about alignment arguments, promoting certain folks from guest to honorary hosts, and more. Welcome to Saving the Game. I'm Grant. I'm Peter. I'm Jenny. And I'm Chrissy. Hey, Chrissy's back. Yay. Chrissy, are you... Welcome back, Chrissy. Are are you a guest or are you just like an honorary fourth host at this point? I think I'm a spouse, so somewhere in the middle. Somebody I can rope in just kind of whenever we want. Yeah. If I'm doing my math right, if Chrissy is no longer a guest and is now an honorary fourth host, then I think Mike Perna must also be the honorary. And probably Derek White as well. Yeah, Derek White. Yeah, all right. So you're like an honorary sixth host. Yeah, like (laughs) they're much more qualified than me to talk intelligently about things. No. <laughs> yeah, look, if you're going to talk it, talk. You can't talk to me. You have to talk to the microphone. I'm not a podcaster. This is not an innate response for me. I know, but say it again. <laughs> Which part? Oh, <laughs> leave this all in. Oh, it's all staying in. Don't worry. <laughs> no, it'll be enough. Which it's hard. No. Look, okay, so if, if I'm up in the running with Mike Perna and Derek White, just let them be hosts because they're much more qualified. To say intelligent and germane things than I am. At least about the intersection of religion and role-playing games. <laughs> Chrissy has a lot of very germane things to say. In fact, we've got her on to talk about something very specifically germane to the role-playing side of things. Just so everybody knows, Chrissy, you are my wife. Yes. Good. Awesome. Um, so they tell me. <laughs> if not, I've been living a terrible lie for 11 years. Mm, me too. All right. Well, hey, at least we're buddies there, right? We got that under our belts. All right. So... Yep, we've got uh, my wife who just finished running a World of Darkness Innocence game, and we're going to kind of break down running your first game as a GM. Everything that kind of goes into that, what works, what didn't, all sorts of stuff. So that's cool. First, though, news and notes. Do we have any? No. I don't think so. It's been kind of an uneventful couple of weeks since our last episode. I mean, I've had a series of very unfortunate events happen to me. I can talk about those. I mean, unless you don't. I've had a very bad week. I'm so sorry. I know you had Uh, like almost a literal pig pen arrive in the library. Yeah, I can talk about pig pen and some other things. Um, Whatever you want. Cool. Stepped on a bee. So my foot is purple now. That sucks. Phone phone line got cut for the second time this year. Bell still has not buried the line. It is still just like open to the elements and the street sweeper. This is the library um, phone line, right? Yeah, this is correct. The library phone line. Um, oh, this time, instead of just splicing the wire together, Bell also put electrical tape on it. So that's definitely going to help. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Ooh, you got the luxury <laughs> yeah. treatment. Yeah. They're taking care of you. <laughs> yeah. We, we actually think that they may not be allowed to bury the line until public works can tear up the pavement for them to do it. Oh. Uh, no. And they're, that's never going to happen. That is never going to happen. Um, another th- library thing. Our sink just straight up busted and we were left with a m- very minor flood. It was not like anything like the flood in spring. Very minor flood in the library again. Um, and then kids threw rocks at my library. Kids threw rocks at each other. Kids sharpened sticks with rocks outside my library and said that they were definitely going to be safe. 
And then Pigpen came. This kid has come into my library a couple times. He has never once been clean, ever. Uh, like, there's always a, some smudge of dirt on him somewhere. But today, today, he was just covered in mud. Like, dried mud. Completely covered. Like, in, in, in bizarrely straight lines of mud. And not like a splatter pattern like somebody took a ruler or took two rulers and then painted mud between them in lines randomly across his face and chest and his hands were like like black like pitch black with dirt and initially i was like i didn't see the hands and i was like jenny are you sure you're not describing a monster for chrissy's next innocence game I'm describing, actually, um... Because, like, strange mud lines and pitch black hands sounds like some kind of malign supernatural thing from Innocence. Now that I'm thinking about it, this is actually a monster from uh, Sandpunk's game that I played in this past Fear the Con. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I remember you talking about that in that episode. Yeah, um, anyway... I didn't notice the hands and he went about the library a bit. And then I noticed the hands and I was like, please go wash your hands. And in that interim, he put handprints on everything. Oh, no. <laughs> like, at least one of everything now has a dirt handprint on it. I've taken care of, like, th- there were a couple of dirty books. But you know what? The cleaner's in tomorrow. And, uh... I can, I can just imagine this cleaner coming in and now. being like, how did he get the ceiling fan? <laughs> Uh, it's not the worst situation that 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 cleaner has had to deal with, and we go through cleaners at a breakneck speed, um, just due to a lot of different factors. Um, there are some things that I am unwilling to clean without rubber gloves. The cleaners bring their own. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, if it helps, Jenny, I do have some good library news for you. Mm-hmm. I got a library card. Yay! For the first nice. time since like Chrissy and I have been married <laughs> i now have a library <laughs> card so nice. yeah i'm excited it's a pretty one yeah well i've seen I, I saw the picture of it it's very pretty it is in fairness most of that is due to table rock being pretty and i mean like when we were doing cards it was literally a piece of paper that we then later laminated yeah i mean that's what <laughs> so that's like, what my first one was too it had like this you know green and beige greenville library logo on it and that was it so that's pretty much what mine looks like yeah. So it's kind of neat that Greenville has, you know, different ones, but this was the only one that wasn't like, you know, dinosaurs or mermaids. Mm. And don't get me wrong, dinosaurs are awesome, but... I am terribly disappointed you did not get the dinosaur. Our daughter is terribly disappointed you did not get a mermaid so you could be mermaid buddies. I was saving the dinosaurs for one of them or for you, frankly. <laughs> no, here's the thing. If I know Grant, he is holding out, he is not going to accept half measures... He's going to wait until they provide a dinosaur mermaid where it's a human torso on top of a plesiosaur. And then and only then will he get that library card. Am I right? Mesosaur card. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, I may actually someday have to go get a library card because they have dinosaurs. There you go. Uh, But yeah, checked out some cool books. Uh, Also, I was not feeling well, had to go to the doctor this week. And so I used the online checkout thing, which is pretty cool. You get seven free, quote unquote, checking out of any media that they have in digital form through a, an app that you can just have on your phone, which is pretty great. You get some of those. Wait, they aren't all free? Like, a- after seven, do they make you pay? Um, I think it's just limited there. Sorry. Not, like, oh, okay. paid. But it, it caps it at seven. I, I use yeah. Hoopla, I think is the app name. Okay. 
but it gave me a chance to read through the first two uh, volumes of Matt Fraction's Hawkeye series, which I... Oh, dang! I just ordered the second volume, like, today. I'm not even joking. It's quite good. I can strongly recommend it. I've heard nothing but excellent things about it. It absolutely lives up to the hype. It's excellent. It's the first time I've read a superhero comic since... Oh, goodness. I don't even remember when. College? So, Mm. yeah. It's neat. Strong recommend. I don't know if anyone cares, but we did discover that six-year-old has had her eye on a comic, Phoebe and Her Unicorn, and I was looking it up and found out that it is by Dana Simpson, Simpson, who was the author of Ozzy and Millie, which Grant and I loved, and the first year we were living together, I think it's the first year we were married, I got him the complete... Ozzy and Millie for Christmas. Yeah, Ozzy and Millie was an old Keenspot comic back in the day. Huh. Oh, yeah. I'm vaguely remembering that. Yeah, yeah. It was not, like, super on my radar, but I, I am vaguely remembering Yeah, it had Ozzy, who's like a, a little fox, and his uh, dragon dad. I loved it. It was super cute. Delightfully, like, nerd college kid philosophical. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> uh, you know, again, early Keenspot days. Give it a rest, right? Uh, Phoebe and the Dragon looks absolutely no. delightful. Phoebe and her unicorn. Phoebe, Phoebe and her unicorn, excuse me, looks absolutely delightful. What was that line? That- uh, I opened it up to a random page just to spot check it before I showed it to six, our six-year-old. And it was Phoebe coming up to a little girl sitting on like a bench or something in the park with no hair. And she goes, even though you're really mean to me a lot of the time, I'm sorry my unicorn used her magic to take all your hair away. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it it seems spot on. It looks excellent. So Chrissy just texts me this, Grant, it's by this. I'm like, what? No. So (laughs) why did I make the child put that back? Yeah, I know. (laughs) So yeah, I'm excited. We're going to pick that up, I'm sure, at some point. I believe she's going to get it for her birthday. Nice. I believe you're going to get it for her birthday. Yes. <laughs> She'd better not listen to this episode. Oh, she doesn't. <laughs> you know what, with all the swearing and- Oh, wait, no. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> like, checks notes. Oh, wait, we're a clean podcast. Never it's, mind. What it's with 10 all the o'clock. Talking Do about you know what podcast your kids are listening to? <laughs> oh, she was super excited when she found out I was going to be on tonight. She's like, oh, both my parents are podcasting? That's so cool that my dad does a podcast that everyone can listen to. Please, everyone listen. I wish we had more. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's move on. This has been fun, but we do have a Patreon question and then, you know, the topic we actually brought Chrissy on to talk about. So I'm going to go ahead and roll a die and we're going to find our Patreon question for the week off our big old table of questions. Let's do. Hey, it's uh, Douglas Underhill. What do you think is an underserved genre of RPGs? What's your favorite game in that genre, or what game are you most curious about? Slice of life. No one ever does just just normal people doing normal person things, but like a slice of life drama. It doesn't happen. It's hard to argue with that. Yeah. Yeah, I think Jenny may have just come up with the correct answer for that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, as far as systems go, I think... Primetime Adventures gets pretty close because it 
works off of TV formulas, and you can use yeah. that for all kinds of different storylines. Yeah, we were just mm-hmm. talking with uh, Brian and the rest of the City on a Hill crew about that last night. Yep. I think any system that gears itself heavily towards, not exactly social combat, but social back and forth. Right, something like drama in- system. Or even yeah. Burning Wheel. I mean, yeah. you know, that would probably work too. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Um, you know, as far as genre fiction genres, I, there are so many out there. It's really hard to come up with one. And, and some of this is because there are so many story games that count as covering that particular area of fiction. You know, there is one that I think is underserved, and that is non-Western historical role-playing. I think that is somewhat underserved. There is a game that is supposed to be, I cannot remember the name of it off the top of my head. I know it exists. uh, That is supposed to be a really good role-playing game about Native American life. And but and also, you know, I think it includes like some myth and things or not myth. Egregor? No, it's not Egregor. It's something else. I can't remember. It's got like a a longer, more interesting name. Anyway, I know it exists. I just cannot think of it off the top of my head. But I, I feel like that is in general missing. And maybe some of that falls into slice of life where it's slice of life specifically in this historical moment and context. Yeah, that would be more along the lines of historical drama because yeah. slice of life is specific to current day everyday events. Sure, sure. To, to the best of my knowledge. I mean, if we're going to go there, I would say probably anything with non-Western mythological roots is woefully underserved. Almost all fantasy is based on Greek and Norse mythology very heavily. And I, uh, will, I would also say that you should probably take any... Hang on a second. What's East and what's West? East Asian influences mm-hmm. out. Because there are a lot of Japanese sort of influenced, J- Japanese influenced uh, to a certain degree, Chinese influenced yeah, as to well. Some degree. Yep. So. Uh, the name of the game, uh, Chrissy was kind enough to find it for me. It's How We Came to Live Here. Ah. Mm. I'll make sure to link that in the show notes because that, that's one that I know has been very well re- uh, reviewed and is widely respected. Yeah. Um, any others, Chrissy? You have anything on this? Probably. This is not my wheelhouse. That's fair. Okay. Cool. Well, Doug. Great question. Thanks very much. And if you want to get your own questions in, please go ahead and do so. Just uh, send them to us through Patreon messages or anything like that if you're a Patreon supporter. And if you're not a Patreon supporter, you can get a question on our list for as little as a dollar a month. Uh, and all that money goes to help support the show, keep us on the air, you know, get us games to play and then talk about on the air and all that good stuff. So, it, yeah, it's a huge help. All right, yep. let's read our scripture and then let's get into our main topic here, shall we? Sounds good to me. All right. Who wants to start us off? Uh, We've got Proverbs 9.9. Instruct the wise, and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous, and they will add to their learning. This is Matthew 23, verses 11 to 12. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. So as I said at the top of the show, our topic tonight is breaking down a GM's first game. Chrissy. Yes. You ran a World of Darkness Innocence campaign. That's what they tell me. A campaign might be perhaps (laughs) an overwrought word. An arc. Yeah. What, four sessions was it? Three, I think. 
Mm, I think it was four. We missed a lot of weeks. I lost count. Yeah, it's true. We had interruptions. It happens. Because we do that. That's how we don't roll. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Yes, you ran four sessions of Innocence uh, to do one story, and it was great. We all had quite a lot of fun. Peter and I talked it up extensively last episode. So, real quick, describe what the scenario was. Just very, very briefly. Quick synopsis. Quick. Yeah. Very briefly, a uh, new kid in school is a is secretly a werewolf, and what do we do with this? Right. And this is Innocence, where you are. it's a World of Darkness game using the New World of Darkness system, but you're playing kids who really can't solve things in the way of most World of Darkness characters, which is to say extremely tedious violence in a complex combat system. You have to kind of handle it in the way kids do. Sometimes there's fighting because sometimes kids fight with, you know, monsters. But in most fiction, they outsmart it and outwit it and just find ways to do it without getting the parents involved. And you did a really good job with that. It was awesome. Thank you. The only violence I think we had in the game was like one very quick struggle against the werewolf when he was in wolf form. Uh, yes. Because, um, our mostly anonymous player threw a big rock at the, at the wolf's yes. head. <laughs> threw a rock at an angry werewolf. Yep. To break up a dogfight. So, I guess here's the question. First, first thing I have to ask you, was that by design? Half and half. Part of it is that innocence doesn't lend itself to a lot of heavy combat because children are smaller and squishier than most everything around them except each other. And part of it, <sighs> was to avoid putting myself in a position where I bogged the game down by not knowing how to run a combat. So I kept the combat light so that I could keep things moving. So it definitely wasn't, oh, just fight something already in the same way of many RPGs. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm pretty sure that's Ryan's monologue every time we record (laughs) City on a Hill. (laughs) At this point, I think he knows to expect it. He's accepted his fate. We've broken Um, him. And that's actually one of the things I like about Innocence is that you are playing characters who are between 7 and 12 years old. You cannot just murder your way through the problem. You have to think outside the box and solve it without magic, without combat training, without weapons. You can't just murder your way to a solution. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even in a relatively low-powered game with adult protagonists, somebody's at least got a six-gun. Yeah, I mean, genre or, fiction is ob- is usually about flashy violence, and it's interesting that young adult horror story, you know, the Goosebumps style story that's, you know, very common, it's one we're, we're all familiar with, really doesn't feature a whole lot of violence as a genre. Uh, children no. win things by their wits, not their might, and that's sort of the appeal is you have to be more cunning than the thing you're fighting. Yeah, or sometimes more speedy or, you or know, smaller. Or faster or smaller. Or, just, but They win it by not being adults. Yeah. There was actually something else that um, you said earlier that I want to come back to. And you said that one of the reasons why we didn't have a whole lot of combat is that you didn't want to bog the story down with trying to figure out the combat system on the fly. Mm-hmm. And I actually want to call that out as something kind of clever, And something that other new GMs should do. There is no reason why, especially your first time at bat, that you should feel like you have to use everything in the system. Take what you are comfortable with or the parts of the the system that you are familiar with from your time as a player or just what you really need to 
kind of tell the story you want to tell or, well, present the scenario you want to present. But we've been over that territory before. Mm-hmm. And just get really comfortable and really prepared with that stuff, right? I mean, if you don't want fights, then you don't want to make a bunch of combat encounters, right? Yeah, and just because there wasn't combat does not mean there wasn't opposition. Your first session capped with the soccer game, where you were opposed to the werewolf character, but it it wasn't combat, but you were still striving against each other and using the system to decide how that fell out. Yeah, and the best part of that was because this was a soccer scrimmage with all of our parents watching and coaches and referees and all that, there was no way we could let it devolve into violence in any meaningful sense. We had one player try knowing that his character was going to get in trouble if anybody saw him try and sneak a kick in at the guy's head. Luckily. At the guy's head? Yeah. In soccer? Well, it, okay, it was more like whack him with his shoe. He took his shoe off and okay. was going yeah, to whack the kid with it. Cleats to the back okay. of the head kind of thing. That's still very mean. Subtlety, well, he not, was not a strong point. He was not playing a nice character. Okay. No. <laughs> yeah. You, you know who this is. I, I think I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was the, the closest we got to, you know, random murder hobo violence was I'm going to hit this kid in the back of the head with some cleats. And the dice were not with him. No, he whiffed no, badly. No, they were not. We actually, we had to rule check that scene three times and he whiffed every time. Yeah. Oh. Except for the one time he got it, but the rule said he didn't, so we yeah. had to take it away. Yeah. Yeah, roll 20 did not want violence that night, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. But he, he, he got his own back with the rock, so that worked yeah. out. Yeah. So yeah, that's, I think the tone was spot on. And you also said it kind of in our own childhoods, which was fun. There was a lot of nostalgia in this game for me personally. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the the players were about the age of the characters at the time when the game was set. Yeah, there was a lot of my suburban childhood into my character. I think you probably saw a lot of mom <laughs> in my character's mom, all that fun stuff. Just a smidge, Just maybe. A smidge. Yeah. I, I learned a lot about your childhood running that game. <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> I think I might have actually, for a change, played the character that was the farthest from his real self this time. Because I didn't have to deal with like being from the wrong side of the tracks or having a single mom or any of the stuff that he dealt with. Although, so. really, I don't think your character really pulled on that as much. If we played it again, I'd like to see that come up a little bit more. Yeah, and it probably would. Mm-hmm. We just didn't have a huge number of opportunities to do anything with that. It was very much kind of a tale of our little subdivision slash apartment complex rather than like the larger school and the larger town. And so he didn't really have to deal with a lot of the baggage from when he was in an area that was kind of dangerous and yeah. he had to fight and stuff. So. Yeah. Yeah, you had the one scene with the police, and that was a conscious choice, too, as as the starting, like you're dipping your toes into the supernatural. It is going to be very mild and very close to home, and if I kept it going as a campaign, it would start getting a little deeper and a little darker and spreading out into more of the territory I'll have. Sure, because a lot of it, uh, I mean, a whole piece of the genre is... 
the world, you know, the safe, comfortable world we are in, which, you know, for children is a pretty tightly defined set of places and, and circumstances and patterns of your life, all of that then kind of gets broken and a bigger, more horrible truth is revealed. You know, something comes in and disrupts it. So it's cool. And I know you have some ideas for subsequent stories, and we'll talk about those in a bit. I really want to see those because I do think it'll expand the world that you've created pretty nicely. Um, so we kind of talked about what attracted you to this particular game, right? Mm-hmm. You love Innocence. You think yeah. it's great. Uh, you got to play it at Fear the Con, didn't you? Yes. My first con game ever was an Innocence game with Jenny. Yep. I played a big, burly 12-year-old, if I recall correctly. <laughs> nice. Is there anything else that attracted you to this particular plot, or was it just um, something that worked? Because you had okay, some kind of Hang on a second. Let's before we go there. Let's let's back up. So, a little bit more detail about innocence and why that specifically was the not just like the system of choice, but the setting of choice here. Because you've said some stuff to us when we were just kind of talking about it in our gaming group that I think the listeners would benefit from hearing. Remind me what those brilliant things were. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you you said some stuff about like familiarity and nostalgia, I believe. Yeah. I mean, it it does have the benefit. And why I said it in the 90s was a couple of reasons. We all grew up in the 90s and that's a touchstone for us, not just the age we were at, but the world we were in. I can't imagine trying to play a 12-year-old in a world that has all the technology that we have now because it's a completely different childhood. Uh, but I also think the technology detracts from the like self-sufficiency mm-hmm. of being a child in this situation. You know, you can just Google anything you want to know. You don't have to go to the library and dig for it in the musty texts in the back. You know, if you get in trouble, help is a phone call away. Your parents are constantly texting. Where are you? What are you doing? I just texted so-and-so's mom and they said you're not there. So setting it in the 90s gave the characters more room to roam without adult supervision, but also put some constraints on them for how readily available information and items were. You can't just go to Amazon and order Wolfsbane. Yeah. If you suspect your neighbor is a werewolf, you have to figure out what it is and where it might be. Yeah. The closest we had was, you know, like, oh, hey, I have this Encarta 95 disc. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, Encarta. I remember that. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Not fondly, but I remember it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Me too. (laughs) Saved me a lot of effort on a lot of book reports. Let me just say that. Oh, yeah. Or research papers and that mm-hmm. sort of thing, I should say, not book reports. Not, yeah. Um, we knew what you meant. Yeah. So, um, so um, again, I said what I liked about the system is White Wolf, so it's familiar, basically. There are some differences. And White Wolf systems are kind of your home system, yeah. aren't they? Yeah, they're, I, just, I started on White Wolf, so I have a passing familiarity and a stack of D10s, so yeah. I, I always feel ready to roll on White Wolf systems. And it's it's fairly straightforward. It's got a lot more flexibility than D&D, mm-hmm. but it's very obvious. You know, how do you solve this problem? Tell me why you roll these two stats. Yeah, that mix and match ability is really nice. Like, you can change what you're rolling in different situations, and 
I, you know, since you brought D and D up, I I did like the fact that it was a little bit of a palate cleanser there because mm-hmm. we've been. You will never hear me knock Five E. I I think it's a fantastic system, and I really enjoy playing it. But we have been playing a lot of it lately, and we're planning to play more. So it was nice to get a little bit of a break to get something else in for a while. And Innocence really does not feel like D and D at all. As Chrissy mentioned earlier, you can't just player character your way through things you don't have you are not more powerful than basically anything so you've got to solve your problems from a position of vulnerability rather than strength and that makes for more clever play and in our group's case because we're kind of like this anyways more light-hearted play which was kind of nice too yeah i would agree there i mean like for for instance i made brief allusion to this on a a previous episode at the top we were up late dealing with the neighbor kid in like the first time when he came out as a werewolf and was kind of rampaging around and causing problems and several of us were up pretty late into the night way past our bedtimes and i just played my characters just being like the horribly sleep deprived tired kid for like the whole <laughs> next in-game day and that doesn't sound on the surface like it would be fun but it was a blast because you're a kid, you're allowed to be vulnerable. You do not need to be this terrifying, formidable force at every minute of every day in order for the world to not die. Sure. I mean, D&D is a game about fantasy SWAT team members. Yeah. Yeah. Or even special forces, guys, to take it a step further. And it didn't come up, but had you tried to roll for anything the next day, the system would have put a penalty on you for being tired. Uh, One of the interesting things about innocence is children are not adults. If you're trying to stay up late to case the spooky mansion, you have to make a roll to not get bored and wander off. You have to make a roll to stay awake and stay focused. Well, and uh, the one player did run into that, right? He stayed up late Mm -hmm. and, you know, had to make a bunch of rolls to stake out the werewolf kid's house. Yeah, he failed one and he started fiddling around with his multi-tool and a broken slide because it was more interesting than sitting and staring at a house. Yep. Speaking of, what attracted you to this particular plot? We had some constraints going in. You'd said you wanted to try and run Innocence, which was Mm -hmm. awesome. And then we were all like, okay, let's have a real discussion about limits. We had our, Mm -hmm. our usual lines and veils discussion, which was a little more important perhaps than usual even though it's always very important because we're dealing with kids, it's even more, I don't know what the word is, uh, a little more fraught perhaps. Yeah. Do you do, especially when you're playing children, you do have to think about triggers that people might have. I had one plot I was kicking around and then one of our players had something going on. I was like, oh, that's going to skate a little close to this real-life family drama, because family's involved in this one. Nobody in D&D has a family. You're out, <laughs> you're out fighting your way through wherever, gathering loot. But you know, your kids, you have parents, or you don't have parents. You have a family pet. There are things you can lose, and there are very important things you can lose uh-huh. if it goes dark enough. And so I tried to be really conscious of not touching on anything that would be too close to anyone. Yep. Um, so I think, frankly, you did a better job of that than I usually do. So I figured, you know, okay, werewolf kid in school. I know we all like werewolves. I know we've got 
some people who enjoy playing werewolf mm-hmm. in our group. So this will be kind of a kind of like a nod to them and some other short campaigns we've done as a gaming group. But it'll be it's pretty easy going. No one was in danger at any point. And I had a couple of ideas to make it a little scarier, but that wasn't the way we were ro- we were going with it. So I just dropped those and let it stay lighthearted. And I think that was a good intro. Yeah. Honestly, we're all learning a new system. It's a horror game, but we all kind of knew going in. This was like the light end of the Goosebumps. Yeah. And I was very itself. clear that this was going to be a lighthearted intro to the supernatural. And if they wanted to keep going, I was willing to go darker as we got more comfortable. But it's it's hard to keep that suspense and that fear and that sense of danger while you're fumbling through the book trying to figure out what to roll, both as a player and as a GM. It's like, oh, I'm so terrified for my life. Let me spend five minutes looking at my character sheet and a rule book to see what I do about this. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that will break the mood instantly unless you're a much better GM than me. If you're dealing with people who are constantly looking stuff up, That'll break the mood no matter how good the GM is. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. you can't, the human mind can't really hold those two. Oh my goodness, I'm feeling this intense emotion, but, and then like, okay, so I'm going to set that aside because that's fictional and completely break my immersion because I have this mechanical thing that I need to do and then try. The adrenaline fades, right? Yeah. I mean, ph- yeah. physiologically, you don't have that adrenaline, adrenaline anymore. The endorphins are gone. Yeah. You're not getting that back. And yeah. I knew we would all be fumbling with the system a bit because I've never run it and we don't tend to play White Wolf as our main system. So I figured it would be a waste of effort to try and fail to create that. And we should just go with what we had. Yeah. And I started the vampire game I'm running at about the same time, but that's Old World of Darkness, mm-hmm. which has a, a lot of frustrating differences and <laughs> is even clunkier than <laughs> New World of Darkness. So, you know, even then it's not like, hey, Grant, what's this? It's like, I don't know. I'm going to a wiki right now to find out. Hold on. Oh, Grant and I actually <laughs> had discussions. He's like, is this? I'm like, no, it's that in Old World of Darkness Vampire. It is absolutely not that in mm-hmm. Innocence. I can show you the page where it specifically says the opposite of what you just told me. Yeah. Well, and once again, like the fact that White Wolf books are not known for their awesome <laughs> indexes or tables of contents <laughs> oh, does goodness. not help. Or their organization. Why is that there? Is just sort of a refrain when running a White Wolf game. How many times did I say, well, I'm looking where I think it should be and it's not there. Where else should I try? About as many times as you throw a book at me. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you you said that at least four times, like once a session. Yeah, probably. During, during the game, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. All right. So that's, I think, a concern that you had going into the game is the system. Oh, yeah. I am not a system person. Grant loves systems. He will dig into new systems all day long. I will happily play D&D 5e until I die because I at least know what dice to roll 90% of the time. And that's, I love setting. I love settings. I love worlds. I love reading and thinking about the kind of possibilities for plots in that setting they've created. I hate systems. 
you come up with plots for any game I'm running. Just like you just throw stuff at me. Hey, here's the thing. Hey, what if we did this? Hey, here's, you know, what if this happened? I'm like, this is all awesome and I should be writing it down. I'm busy holding a screaming damp child, but yes, we should be doing this. You know, um, who am I kidding? You're usually the one yeah, holding the screaming damp child. Let's be You're honest. holding a steering wheel while two children in the back seat kick off. Yeah, there is that. That happens quite a lot. But- you're really good coming up with these cool arcs and tying them into characters, but I know you and you just don't like systems as art and mechanism and artifice. Shaking your head does not help on a podcast. So, yeah, well, I can't say my real opinions about fair systems on your Christian podcast. <laughs> I'll allow it. All right. Fair enough. Do you want to take a minute? I know how to bleep audio. <laughs> no, it, just go okay. on your profanity laced rant I'm, and then I'm we'll just sure cut you know the whole section because i've said it many a time prepping for this game yeah yeah you did okay so that actually leads us neatly into prep what did you do as a first time gm prep wise all right so i panicked Right, and good start. Then I, I mean, that's a, a, a hallowed GMing tradition, yeah, I, so... <laughs> yeah, I had to get my panic in. I fell asleep reading the rule book several nights in a row. I over-prepped endlessly for about a week. I went to Grant in despair and said, how do I make an NPC? I'm done. And... <laughs> then I probably panicked some more, mm -hmm. and then I put Tool on my computer very loudly and, like, copied out everyone's character sheet onto notebook paper so I could scribble all over them without going through Roll20. It's <laughs> a good start. I want to talk about overprep, because yeah. well, this is a yeah, really common GM mistake. It is, but I'd, I'd kind of like to know what you wound up with. At the end of that process, like, did you have some notes saying, you know, this happens or these are the proper nouns of the people in the story or what did you actually have sitting there once you were finished? The funny thing whole... is, I think we're actually headed toward the same thing here, Peter, because I saw her. <laughs> oh, OK. All okay right, what sorry. I ended up with was a sheet of notebook paper with bullet points of potential scenes that would point towards the mystery. And I had about six or seven and then I had another sheet that I had things that I specifically wanted to happen where I had kind of plotted out what was going to happen, who was going to be involved, and what kinds of roles I would be asking for. And that I did specifically to showcase the um, extended opposed role system where you have two characters going towards the same goal. And so they're rolling kind of together and the first one to get the right number of successes wins, basically. Yeah, and this was the soccer okay. And this was the soccer game. So that one I had pretty closely worked out because I had to know what kind of roles. And I did change it on the fly because it was bogging down. Yeah. But I spent a lot of time reading up on how that worked and what kind of roles and figuring out how to balance it so that one NPC could hold his own against four PCs and variations like how to take one or more of the PCs out of it to create a little drama or tension. Mm -hmm. And that was probably the highest prep scene I did. Everything else was pretty much a two-sentence description and flying by the seat of my pants and seeing what y'all did. Yeah, because I don't think you came up with a resolution to the problem. I had no clue. Like, 
<laughs> we were actually in the car. And he said, do you know how they're going to solve this? I'm like, how would I know that? So would you have a potential for how to so- way to solve it? And I was like, oh, that's an excellent question. How are they going to solve this? And so we talked for a while about what potential resolutions could look like. Yep. And we had two different ways to take it. Were either one of them the ones that we did take it in? or Yes. Okay. What was the other one since the game is over now? Uh, the other option was I was going to force y'all into a more direct confrontation. Something like, you know, you had to restrain him or otherwise neutralize him for the good of someone else and see if y'all could beat him in a fight. All right. Just as a quick reminder to listeners who may not have heard the intro segment of the episode where we talked about this, we wound up befriending the kid kind of in that awkward tween sort of way. But we kind of like talked over some stuff and we're like, eh, he's not really hurting anybody. Or at least if he is, he doesn't seem to be doing it on purpose. What if we just get him into our group and see if that helps? Yeah, it was sort of a moment of, ah, it's a werewolf. And? Oh, wait, he's just kind of being a jerk in class and that's about it? Maybe <laughs> yeah, we don't need to do much? he anybody or anything, so... Yeah. And that was a choice I made very early on, was to leave it ambiguous. So if y'all wanted to start something... Y'all could start it, and he would come back at you. But if you didn't, he had no reason to go after you, and you were open to have another solution than combat and violence and cage the werewolf, drive him out of the school. One of the scenes we didn't play was I was going to have y'all overhear, like he'd gotten in a fight at school, and overhear his aunt and uncle talking to him, like, we cannot move again. We cannot get another transfer. This is it. You have to make this work. Yep. Or we're going to have to find someone else for you to stay with. So in order to understand why that's a thing, do you want to just kind of quickly explain what goes on with, like, young werewolves in the world of darkness, or...? All right. So in my game, it is not a direct one-to-one with White Wolf's werewolf, uh, mostly because I was not familiar enough with werewolf to learn two systems in time to run this game. Um, But basically, werewolves are not made, they're born. And generally, they are either a werewolf parent and a human parent, or two human parents who have werewolf ancestors somewhere down the line. And when a child is born as a werewolf, uh, their parents cannot take them because one of their parents is a werewolf. So they're given to the kin, which are human relatives that are in on the secret. And the kin raise them, and the werewolf pack keeps an eye on the child and makes sure they don't get into too much trouble. And then when they're mature adults, they're brought into the pack. Yeah, and I think in werewolf, it's when they kind of first transform, they get to be introduced into the the mysteries of the werewolf pack and all that sort of thing. In this game, we sort of had it as he was was transforming, but he just – he wasn't a grown-up ready to join the pack Yeah, he he – couldn't join the pack yet. Because it's no fun having a werewolf who doesn't transform. That's just a I kid. Know. <laughs> and there's a kid yeah. with a body hair and anger vanish, but she Yeah, said, so a kid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Any kid um, of that age, yeah. <laughs> so like I said, I, I took a little bit of a narrative license with the werewolf setting, but I did want to keep, if they wanted to dig into it, sort of the alienation where he doesn't have parents. He's being raised by, you know, maybe not even actual relatives, just a couple that was willing to take him on. And the difficulty of trying to take werewolf plus teenage hormones and puberty and all of that chaos and you know what does this how does this affect my family what kind of situations does this create you know it's the fish out of water middle school taken to a whole new level yeah which is a big thing in werewolf the that initial transformation as metaphor for puberty is a big thing in your your traditional werewolf game and you sort of took that and then said what if instead of being a metaphor, it was just something else a teenager had to deal with? <laughs> well, and I, I think that worked especially well in this particular case because it humanized the antagonist. Yeah. He was not all just rage and danger and like incredibly menacing and threatening. He was kind of visibly struggling with stuff. Mm -hmm. And so that that made him, you know, certainly the antagonist for a while, but not like this hated or terror-ridden enemy. He was tougher than us, but he didn't, like, gruesomely murder some child on his first day of school, you know? Yeah, he punked the local bully, and that was about it. And the bully started it. Yeah, he did. Well, and the other thing, too, is the, the fallout of that was basically, he told the bully, I'm in charge now, and you're not bullying anymore. Yes. And I that was about the place it stopped. <laughs> I want to come back to this real quick. You really didn't prep a ton in terms of what you ended up with. There was a flurry of preparation beforehand. Then you were just like, I'm over prepping. I got to get rid of all this. And you ended up with just like two pages of notes tops. Yeah. And I think that's really important. Over prep is such a big problem in so many games uh, for new GMs in particular. Sometimes it's under prep, but I think more often it is over prep. Because I'd say it's an issue for new GMs who have not also been in the player's seat for a long time. Yeah. Because the more improv skills you get, the less likely you are to overprep. That's probably somewhat true. I'm not 100% sure I buy that. I think it's mostly a personality thing. Not even, I would say, improv skills, but just I have been a player long enough to know that there is no way I can predict which way everyone's going to jump. Mm -hmm. And I mm -hmm. can kill myself trying to plan for every option or... Um, I have jamming advice. Give them a hallway with 20 doors. Whichever door they open, that's where the room is. Yeah. You know, you give them the illusion of choice. It doesn't matter what they choose. The plot will be wherever they go. Well, but I did also have Grant's excellent example where he's like, don't worry about it. Just have a couple of ideas of where to go. And, you know, he has a little tiny, like, what, three inch, four inch tall notebook. And that's where you prep. Yeah, pretty much. Your ideas. I mean, I've been doing stuff on legal pads because I've been doing these mysteries for the, mm -hmm. the Eberron game. And I kind of went larger flowcharts with more notes yeah. and clues and things like that. And I am kind of being like, they could go here, they could go here, but I want them to meet back up, mm -hmm. things like that. Mysteries tend to have to have more of a through line. Yeah. I can't be like, here's a mystery. I don't know who did it. <laughs> but I've also seen your colony game prep and it's like, 
yeah. ten incomprehensible lines of writing on a piece of paper. Oh in yeah, your back absolutely. Pocket. And like three of those lines are yeah, they probably have this many hit points. <laughs> it works out. It's fine. You know, there's there's one other thing that you did in the game that I want to call out because this was really neat. And we talked about this in our Discord, but we didn't we haven't talked about it on that mics. We ran into problems as players sometimes that we did not know how to solve. And rather than you stressing about how to present a solution right then and there, you just said, okay, you don't know how to solve it. You wake up the next day and go to school. And that was great because it just was like, okay, this is, first off, it built tension. Mm -hmm. Unresolved problems build tension. And in a horror game, tension is what's driving the emotion. It's great. We don't know how to fix this. We don't know how to fix this. It's getting worse. It's getting worse. More is building. What do we do? That was great. But also, we just kind of had an outlet of, we'll just leave it for later and keep doing the same Groundhog Day-ish routine of get up, go to school, get on the bus, talk on the bus, come home, go to soccer practice, skip on homework, you know, whatever. Which is very 12-year-old. Yeah. It's... (laughs) Entirely consistent with what y'all would have done in that situation. Yeah, but it was weirdly freeing in a way I did not expect. Okay, and I think there's another piece to this, you know, now that we're talking about this, that was critical. And that was a lot of the time in games, and I know I am very guilty of this as a GM, there is an implied threat that if you don't solve this now... First of all, it won't be solvable by the time you do get to it. And second, people are just going to die constantly. And some of that is the genres we tend to play. Sure. I mean, yeah, that some of that is very much D&D tropes. There's, there's no two ways about that. But some of it is just like some of us who GM just have a really like strong tendency to just ratchet up the consequences if the PCs don't act. And compress the time frame. Yeah. I I think by, like, giving the story a little more space to breathe, Chrissy actually told a more tense story because a a lot of the time in, like, a lot of... uh, I'm I'm thinking of the very first D&D game that I ever ran before I even knew you folks existed. (laughs) That was the game that went from level 5 to level 21, saved the world multiple times, and when we sat down at the end and tried to figure out how long it took, it was less than three months of in-world time. I mean, that was just go, go, go. These people must have been ragged. Strange believability. And there's no real tension because it's like, oh, we know exactly what's going to happen. It's going to be the worst thing that the DM can think of. Right. So let's keep, you know, let's just sit here and keep beating our heads against this wall until we figured it out. Yeah. Whereas in this case, it was, well, this kid's still going to be a werewolf tomorrow. And he's still going to be at school tomorrow. Yeah. And the school is still going to be there tomorrow. Yeah, it, so, we have to deal with it. You eventually did say, hey, the full moon's in five days, yeah. but only after we'd figured out he was a werewolf, so we didn't have that hanging over it from the get-go. Mm-hmm. It was, oh, oh, well, that's um, that's something we need to deal with soon. Okay, great. That gives us five days. And five days is a lot of time. So... But you have school, and you have homework, and you have to go grocery shopping with your mom, mm-hmm. and you can't skip dinner, or you'll get in trouble, or... Yeah. Which is another fun thing about Innocence, is, you know, they have five days, but how much free time does a 12-year-old actually have in their life? I mean, more than an adult, but they have to account for more of it. <laughs> True. <laughs> so I could say, oh, y'all are making great progress, but the bus is here. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, you're, you're having a conversation. The coach has blown the whistle. You got to line up for Jim. It was good. Any other issues that arose during the game? Um, things that you like weren't happy with or things that were a problem? I mean, I know you said you wished that I'd had y'all roll more, especially towards the end. Yeah, but that's a and, personal thing. And that, yeah, you also weren't happy with the pacing because you wanted it to go a little faster. And I know Peter felt the exact opposite. Yeah. And those are just personal preference. Yeah. Like none of that is like you did it wrong. It's just like, mm-hmm. eh, it's not how I do it. You, you've yeah. got you've got two players with kind of conflicting preferences there. Yeah. So. Which is funny because my games tend to stretch out just as long. So I don't know. Yeah, you just tend to be a little more impatient about it than Chrissy was. <laughs> yeah, I'm just very impatient. That's really what it comes down and, to. And a little bit of a hypocrite. It's fine. That's okay. We'll forgive you. Well, all, I was not trying more. to be as harsh as all that, and you know it. So <laughs> and, and that was, you know, part of it was I told I was telling Grant, he said you didn't have us roll for this. I said, why would I make you roll for this? You had to succeed for the plot to go on mm-hmm. and you were going to succeed. It was just a question of how long. So what was the point of wasting game time throwing dice at the problem that you were gonna solve? Yeah. And Which that was is correct. some of the most common advice given on podcasts that nobody ever actually does and you actually did it so kudos yes it is hard to remember to do that in the middle of a game when you have the dice as a delaying tactic uh roll something while i think on this real quick Mm -hmm. yeah yeah but you know what else you can do is let them rp while you think about it Mm -hmm. because if left to their own devices especially in a close-knit gaming group the out-of-game banter will transfer to in-game banter, and you will have some delightful little character moments while you scrabble through your book trying to figure out where to go from here. Yeah. Also, I and, I think... Okay, RP- so... I, yeah, I, I, I want to stop that, too, because that's... This is something else that I want to call out. This is also extremely good advice for our gaming group specifically, because and it's something that I was terrible at in the motorcycle game. I did not give you guys any room to RP. I just tried to keep pounding that plot, and you guys actually stopped me and were like, let us talk. Yeah. So it's a similar issue to what we actually have in the City on a Hill game. We just talk with the GM. Yeah. And we've kind of realized that that was happening. So I know you and I have been trying to interact with each other and some of the other PCs a little more. Well, and the, the other folks have done a better job of it too. And some of that is just yeah. getting comfortable with the game and the group oh, and all that right absolutely and i mean mm-hmm. it's a it's a growing pains thing i mean we've we've all gamed with each other but we haven't gamed with the other three city on a hill veterans very much right. at all except for this specific game so yeah, yeah that, some of that is inevitable but it's it's a good thing to keep in mind as a gm is just give the players some time to to embody these characters that they put all this effort into Yes. And like I said, I was very bad at that for a while. So basic rule, if players are talking to each other in character, shut up. <laughs> yeah, I would not step in until I sensed y'all starting to circle the drain or go way out mm. a field. And then I would do something to call you back to what was going on. Yep. Um, but I tried very hard not to play the Applebee's card except once. Yep. Which no one heard, so Grant had to do it for me. Yeah, apparently if I say Applebee's, people pay attention. Yeah, have we ever actually explained the Applebee's thing? I don't know. Jenny, do you know about Applebee's? Um, I think you've told me about Applebee's like ages ago. Okay, so real quick. In the first game that I ran for this group, was a, it was a Savage Worlds Shadowrun game. 
where's the safest, best place to meet Mr. Johnson, the guy who gives you your missions in Shadowrun, and Applebee's. It's reasonably well lit. The food is not good, but it's not a dive bar where terrible things can happen. You're at a table in the middle of a bunch of people where you cannot start things. It's safe. It was great. It was the best possible meeting place, I thought. I thought it was very clever. Well, our group has a tendency to talk amongst themselves because they're friends. So I ended up just having to repeat, so you're at Applebee's five or six times before anybody (laughs) actually got the hint that maybe we should sit down and have the the plot progress. And so, so you're at Applebee's quickly became the let's please pay attention to the plot now call. And uh, it, it has stuck. Uh, yeah, it has not only stuck, it has evolved. Like, there was Applebeast for a while in the Colony game, much to your chagrin. Yes, well, must m- many of the things that you came up with in the Colony game were to my chagrin. It's fine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm I'm full of horrible puns. Yeah. I oh, would apologize, but it would be insincere. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I even called that out. I said that you were dying of puns. <laughs> Uh, Apparently, when I'm sleep-deprived, I do nothing but. Yeah, it's impressive, actually. So, uh, let me ask you this. Were you satisfied with the game? Yeah. Went well? I suppose so. Y'all seemed happy, so I'm happy. Do you want to do it again? Maybe. Did you enjoy the process of GMing it? Like, did you actually find the act of GMing to be enjoyable in its own right? I'm not sure. You know what? Got, huh? That's an okay answer. Like, I I really like playing. I like not being responsible for everyone else's fun. But I do like coming up with plots, and I would like to flatter myself and think that I have some pretty intriguing basic ideas for plots if we wanted to come back to this. Yeah, you've told me a couple of them, and I'm excited. I think they're great. Yeah, you've... <laughs> You've definitely got the GMing chops. Yeah, so It might be different if I were more comfortable with the system. I felt like I was scrabbling a lot to try and do a good job. I, I kind of felt like I was fighting the system. Would you feel more comfortable then if we like changed systems and did Innocence in a different, less rules-heavy system? No, I think the rules fit Innocence really well. I okay. think Innocence is really well tied to the rules and the dice and things it has. I see previous comment about I love settings and I hate systems. Sure. And also you have two small children that you're largely responsible for because that's just how our our household is. And you don't have time to sit there and be like, oh, right. That's how many D10s I roll for that. I just, no. It's not, you don't have the brain for that right now because it is full of why is the table covered in I, there's only one answer. What there is many, that substance? There are yeah. many questions. The answer is always the children. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh, let's not even talk about last night. Which part? Uh, the ball. Oh, my goodness. The, no. Oh. Too late. You're talking about it. Yeah, but, no so we're at Applebee's. Let, let's just say if your parenting <laughs> instinct says this is a bad idea, listen to it. Yeah, like, you know, don't buy the slime-filled ball when your uh, six-year-old daughter promises she won't pop it. Why do they even make slime-filled balls as a toy? That seems like some kind of a they crime against They increase carpet parents. cleaner sales. <laughs> it was the best toy in the world for 15 minutes. Yeah, and then it was incredibly bright green goo. That was exciting. Um, 
Okay, so to get to bring us back around to the actual topic no, here. No, no, we're still talking about horrors. It's so, fine. <laughs> so are Applebee's. Any specific lessons that you took out of this? Anything that uh, came out of this game that is influencing any direct plans for future games that you might or might not want to run? You act like I've analyzed this experience and thought about it beyond, oh, whew, don't have to think about that again for a while. I mean, I think I, that's fair, yeah, first of all. If I did it again, I would spend more time on learning the parts of the system that were relevant to what I wanted to do um, and maybe kind of plot out what kind of roles I want you to make for points in the story, just so I don't feel so lost in it. See, that's actually a really good point because we ran into that with Vampire. Mm -hmm. You don't have to learn all of a game. Like, especially these large tr traditional role-playing games that have lots of rules to cover all the different possible situations. If you're not going to be including something, don't worry about learning those rules. We ran into this with Vampire, like I said. The Vampire 20th Edition book is 800 pages. You're kidding me. That's got to be bigger than Tallest. It's either 500 or 800. I don't remember. I, I think it's 500. Maybe. It's many. Yeah, 800 is... The Inheritance Trilogy yeah. all jammed together with all Sorry, of the filler taken out. Sorry, I think it's 500 pages. But that's because it includes a massive amount of alternate character options from 20 years of Old World of Darkness vampire material. But if you're going to be doing a Camarilla game, you don't need this Amitsi stuff. Well, that, but you would also don't need, like, alternate paths where you're, you know, like, the core of vampires, you know, you have your humanity rating. Well, there are options to get rid of humanity and replace it with other things and, you know, completely modify characters and all this other crazy stuff, none of that is relevant. You know, I had a, a player who really was kind of freaking out, like, this is a huge book. Grant, I cannot read all this. And, you know, my response was, okay, look through the section on different character types, the different clans, pick one, read those rules. You're good. That's all the rules you need. We'll take care of the rest in game, learn the basic system, look at the character sheet. That's it. You do not have to learn 500 pages of content. It's fine. Yeah. I don't know everything that's in the 5e DMG, and I'm planning my second campaign in that setting yeah. or system. So, And I think that's valuable yeah. advice for any new GM. You know, unless you're running like a small story RPG that's like 30 pages and yeah. all of it is relevant, that's a different there, thing. There are like three relevant chapters in a... DM's book. Yeah. I mean, look at the kind of, look at the character stuff, look at the combat and mechanic stuff, and look at the setting stuff, and you basically know what's going on. I was the only one, really, who had access to the book for this one, so I just No, I've got a copy, too. Huh? I've got a copy, too. I said basically. Oh, okay, sorry. I was <laughs> largely the only one who had access to the book, so I just typed up everyone's skills in a Word document so that they only had to read what they could do. And that was one of those things that you did that is great, but falls squarely into above and beyond the call of duty. <laughs> yes. Like, we all had a cheat sheet that was made by our GM, which, if you have that kind of time, I would be hard-pressed to think of something that your players would, like, be more grateful for. But it is not like the baseline expectation if you are a new GM That's to do true. that. Although mm -hmm. it's one of the ways that I know you learn, Chrissy, yeah. is by writing things out and, you know, kind of repeating them and, and teaching others. And so I know doing that helped you kind of 
pin down what these skills were yeah. and all that stuff. It also gave me a handy reference for what they could and couldn't do mm-hmm. so that I could tweak encounters to play to their strengths because PCs and players like to do things they're good at. They like to show off these skills that they've spent their character creation points on. Yeah. So whenever I could, I tried to like make an encounter tie into their backstory, tie into their character, tie into a specific skill they took. In the soccer game, one of our players had taken a faster foot or something mm-hmm. you know, so that they were faster. So they became the star soccer player. Because they were faster than everyone else on the field. Yes, we just kept passing to her. Yeah. That was a fun scene, actually. It really was. Yeah. I really I really liked that mechanic. I think it's the neatest mechanic in the Innocence book is the extended contested roles. See, you're comparing Much- mechanics. You've got the GM bug already, I can tell. <laughs> it's, and it's, it's a little more satisfying than combat, I think. Yeah, I agree. Because it's not wait your turn to do a thing everyone's helping each other towards a common goal. Well, and it also feeds into the kind of party we had, mm-hmm. right? I mean, the, the characters were friends with each other, so this reinforced that, of course, they would help each yeah. other. And I, I mean, it was it was interesting, like, after the, the new kid decided that he'd had enough of how fast the, uh, the player that was doing really well was and, like, kind of savagely checked her, and we all started contemplating how to get back at him for that. Even that stuff used the same mechanics, which was kind of fun. So, like, the one guy went in to whack him with the shoe, and then Grant's character, like, did some stuff to try and distract the adult so he could get away with it, and everything went horribly wrong, but it was still kind of fun to do it that way. Yeah, so, it was good. I think it played out really well. I mean, the fact that we keep talking about how good the game was <laughs> and our favorite scenes, I think, is indicative of the fact that the game was really yeah. good. So Yeah. I mean, I will say it advice for a new GM is to get fairly comfortable with the parts of the system you want to use. Like pick a few. I picked a couple of types of role that I wanted to showcase and build scenes around because I thought it would be neat and interesting for me and the players. And it got it down to a manageable chunk of roles Mm -hmm. and everything else you can do for RP. Uh, If you can game for a group you're comfortable with and have been playing with for a while I, I could trust that they weren't going to savage me if something went wrong. You know, they were looking things up and texting me, hey, I think it's this. Hey, look at this. Here's a web page. Next time, do the roll this way. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, think it'll be easier. So We have a good group. We are yeah. blessed with that. And mm-hmm. that yeah. does make it a lot easier. If you're trying to do this for, you know, randos yeah. at the gaming store, that's I, a different matter. I would probably have never agreed to GM a game if I... We were not such good friends and such an established gaming group, and I did not have so much trust in y'all. And that's another thing that's kind of important on its own. That is totally valid and okay. You do not have to be willing to GM for absolutely anybody who crosses your path playing any kind of game that your players can think of in order to call yourself a GM or to get started at it. Like... You know, stack the deck as high in your favor as you possibly can, especially the first time. Find a bunch of people you like gaming with and trust from your playing experience and go from there. Yeah. Jenny, I know you weren't in this game, and I'm sorry that it's been mostly a Peter, me, and Chrissy conversation. Honestly, I'm thankful. I'm tired as heck. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have anything? I want to make sure that 
you have a chance to ask something or, or get a comment in? Um, well, I did look up the Vampire the Masquerade 20th edition, the physical version. Yes, it is 520 pages long. It is approximately four pounds heavy. There we go. All right. Oh. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you were fact-checking me on this. I appreciate that. Yeah, it is a... I'm a librarian. That's what I do. Oh, yeah. It is a beast of a PDF. <laughs> it destroys my computer when I try to look at it. It's it's impressive. I'm glad y'all had fun. I, I will say that. I'm glad y'all had fun. I wouldn't have GM'd any version of World of Darkness first time ever. That's not a thing I'd have done. Uh, like, there's a reason I went with Everything is Dolphins for my first GM <laughs> experience. So, like, good on you. You done good. Yeah. It's not a light system. It's not, but the setting is just so delicious. I couldn't not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Innocence is one of my favorite settings yeah. by far. It's so cool. And there's so many different places to go with it. So. Yeah, I, I'm hard-pressed to argue. And it lacks a lot of the baggage of other World of Darkness settings. And yes. so it's... Oh my gosh. Like, you don't get the setting bloat that you do with literally any other World of Darkness. Yeah, thing. I agree. It's like, your kids, there's a weird thing happening. <laughs> yeah. And that's it. Yep. And that's really it. Yeah. You can bring in other World of Darkness stuff. But it's like, there's a weird. Figure it out. Pretty much. But talking about setting bloat, we've talked about setting crunch on this show a lot. This game doesn't have that, mm-hmm. which is nice, but you also didn't try and create a big, complicated setting for us no. to live in. It, you were not trying to create this sense of verisimilitude. You were just saying, hey, you guys are kids. You live in this apartment complex. There's a neighborhood next door. You go to school. Did we ever even name the school? No. Did we need no. to? It was school. <laughs> Did yeah. you think, do you wake up and go, I'm going to go to Blue Ridge High School No, today. but it's, yeah. it's one of those world building things that so many people think they have to do is like well i have to name everything and map it all out is no 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 no. yeah fully populated with fully statted out npcs like i i need stats for every single teacher and half the students no one thing no you don't one thing i've learned from grant is that you name something when they ask what the name is yes Mm -hmm. (laughs) how do you think i've managed to get this far in my career (laughs) i i get to sit at his desk and watch him gm so i did have that going in the biggest problem i had honestly was figuring out how to do like npcs and rolling for them I was saying, well, I don't know. I don't have character sheets for the 50 other people they might encounter. And Grant was going, why would you need that? Just figure out if they're good at something or bad at something or the same at something and roll the same number of dice the characters are rolling. Plus or minus your modifier. Yeah. Are they really good at something? Yeah, they, they roll like six dice. Okay, cool. They're bad? At eh, one to two. In between, three to four. Look, it's an NPC. That was the thing I struggled with the most was not having GM'd enough to have an intuitive knowledge of what to roll to make it fair mm-hmm. and do what it needed to do without going through the work of study. And the prota- or the antagonist, I actually statted him. I built him by character creation rules so that he was exactly on par with... A little, a little above. No, he if he was in werewolf form, he was going to get an extra die on oh, everything. Okay. But as a human, he like I weighted everything towards his physical, but he was working off the same character creation oh, rules okay. y'all were. Okay. Because yeah, we I thought that would make the roles more interesting. Sure. Yeah, you know, like he would have good. he would have strong and weak points, just like y'all did. Because I didn't know how much y'all would want to go against him, and I wanted to 
be able to just go with it. Um, but yeah, the hardest thing was wrapping my brain around not having to have NPCs have like teachers roll this, police roll this. Your mom is good at detecting when you're lying. So you get a you know penalty when you try to lie to your mom. Yeah. Um, that was particularly relevant to my character. Honestly, <laughs> that's saw through that was, me every time. <laughs> <laughs> it was and great. And you know what? Sometimes you don't have to roll. Sometimes you just decide it's funny or it's plot and you don't want him to succeed and mm-hmm. you just let him go. And, and in our group, mm-hmm. that's fine yeah. because we're rolling with it. It's not like, mm-hmm. well, this is unfair. You, didn't, you know, you didn't give me a DC to roll against. You just arbitrarily it's decided eight. it's that, always eight you're playing innocence it's eight I'm, I'm, i know i'm being facetious i'm i'm being that guy well, but. okay but yeah that's that's the thing like if if you have players that trust you you can just decide that things don't work and not get accused of cheating mm-hmm. if if the consequences are like you're grounded or something like it is with these kids that's very different than you lose your dominant arm mm-hmm. right. because the monster, you know, bites it off. Or, or roll something. up a new character. Yeah. 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 Oh, no, I would never. <laughs> At first level. I would never take something important away from a character without the player's explicit yeah. consent beforehand. You know, is this on the table? One of the rules in Innocence, you can have a pet, um, but the understanding is if you take your pet with you into danger, you can lose your pet and you have to deal with the fallout of that. Yeah, which is why Max never went anywhere. Yes. He was just a fixture of JD's home. Mm-hmm. He was just this big, friendly, comforting, fluffy thing. And I knew that none of y'all would be cool with losing Ape. Actually, um, this goes way back, but talking about changing things based on real-world information about your players, I had planned the dogfight between the werewolf and the stray dog to be a bit more vicious But a couple of days before that session, one of our players commented that he had seen someone kicking a dog and it had really upset him. Yeah. So I backpedaled and reworked that scene to make it less impactful than I had originally planned. And and this is kind of a weird game because I, as a player, was privy to a lot of Mm -hmm. your planning. Not all of it, but a lot of it. Mm -hmm. And so I knew that. Like, as soon as we kind of finished that scene, I was like, oh, I bet she, yeah, okay, mm, yeah. But it did not detract from the tension of the scene. Mm-hmm. You can make these allowances for other people's yeah. triggers and other people's concerns and still tell a very compelling story. Yeah, right? the the point of the scene was still there. I just reframed the way it was presented to lessen the impact on the player. Yeah. Well, and that is important to, to mention this here. That is not just good GMing. That is good humanity. Do that. Yeah, <laughs> you know, absolutely. like take that metagame knowledge and spare your players real world misery. Yeah, sure. Well, but there's a, a very common, I think, misconception about storytelling, which is if I can't make it as awful as I can, it somehow loses impact. And that's which is something that true. I struggled with a little bit in the motorcycle game, you know, because of the kind of the grimness of Chrissy's character's background. It's like. Hi, you're from Alcova. You know, it's literally ruled by demons. Yeah. Chrissy's flexing in front of the mic, just so everybody knows. (laughs) Channeling that character. Yeah. No, but you're right. You did. And, you know, we had to... You have a very black and white gaming style anyway. It's it's a topic for another session. Um, (laughs) 
there was a long argument about chaotic neutral in our Discord recently <laughs> and all that fun stuff. It, we'll talk about that another time. Let's put me and Peter on the mic and let's argue about chaotic neutral for there an hour. There you go. That, sounds like, <laughs> that definitely sounds like an episode right there. Um, Maybe not a good episode, but an episode. <laughs> yeah. I would love to do an alignment series, by the way. Like... Just saying, we're almost done our Ten Commandments series. What are we going to do then? Yeah, we did one episode on alignment all the way back in, like, episode three or four of the podcast. Episode we'll two. Do. Oh, really? Was it literally I the second one? I think it was episode okay. two. Well, then who even was it a series, that? though? No. no. It was not Can a series. Can we do better we absolutely now? need yes. to do a series. Yeah. Right. My point, but I, I think I agree with Peter's point, which is, it's been a while. We're okay to talk about it again. Yeah. Okay. 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 <laughs> well, it's been a while, and we've we've grown yeah, recently, even based on this very discussion that we're talking about. Yeah. We being me in this case. So. <laughs> yeah, and it's one of those things that's. I don't want to do like a nine part series on alignments, but you know. I do. Okay. Well, <laughs> I can be overruled. I'll do. I'll do solo episodes on it if you want me to. <laughs> that's fine. No, no you know what? Actually, I think if we spread it out like we have with this is a conversation for off the mics, yes. but let's have it as soon as we finish because we're at like an hour and a half here. We should probably wrap this up. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I love talking about this stuff and I also know that Chrissy has been raising kids all day and would probably like some time to herself before bedtime. Eh, I'll, I'll also, Blair says hello. tomorrow, maybe. Play some Zelda. <laughs> The Goblin Queen says hello back. Indeed. Hello, Goblin She's Queen. She's very hungry. Uh, fun fact for everybody who's uh, who's listening, who's played Breath of the Wild. Chrissy's currently, uh, what, less, is it a, less than 100 Korok seeds now away from I, getting 100% Breath of the Wild? The last time I looked, it was 846 out of 900. There you go. Wow. Yeah, she's put Please some Louise. Everything else is 100%. I haven't finished wow. upgrading all my armor, and I have to check and see if I've killed all of the Hinox and the Talus. I know I'm missing a couple of Lionel. Yeah, well. Because they're just a pain, and I avoid them. If I don't want to spend 20 minutes running around trying to hit them with increasingly weak weapons. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> so we're at Applebee's, so we're at Applebee's, and I think we're ending the yeah. episode. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, listen, thank you for listening. Chrissy, thank you for coming on. We yeah. really appreciate it. Was, it. Thank you for talking great to have you honestly about your GMing experience. That's always – it's good to hear from somebody for whom it's relatively fresh and who is not like, yay, GMing, this was the best. I'm going to go do it again. It was awesome, and I'm so good at everything. It's good to hear somebody who's like, I don't know. I had some issues. We had this to happen. This was tough. That was good. That it was, was it's valuable. And it I, was fine. It may not be where my fun is. And you don't have to be a GM. There's some weird idea that the natural progression is you play and then you become a GM. Thanks, but, Gary. Yeah. It's but that scary. yeah. But that does not have to be everyone's experience. You don't ever have to GM if you don't want to. I would say try it. Because you understand your GM a lot better. But if it's not your fun, don't feel bad that it's not your yeah, fun. I think, it's, I think it's good for everybody to GM at least once for the same reason why I think it's good for everybody to work at least a few months of retail. Yes. <laughs> because you know what it's like on the other side yeah. of that counter. Yes. Treat your GMs and retail employees nicely, please. Yeah. It's yes. like, I think my takeaway is I'm glad I did it because... I got to see what it's like on the other side of the GM screen, but I think I have more fun as a player than as a GM, at least right now. That's fair. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, you certainly make interesting enough characters, so... <laughs> yep. 
oh, see a couple I years of like for that how uh, Lambert deals with Aster posts on the blog. <laughs> Remember that time we were ending the episode? Please let me feed my cat. She's getting a little funny. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. All right, All right. Let's get out of here for Jenny's sake. Chrissy, thank you again for joining us. We really do appreciate it. Uh, yeah. Anybody else who wants to find more of our episodes, including ones with Chrissy and plenty of other guests, just go to stgcast.org or find us on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play Podcasts, any of these. We're, we're everywhere. It's fine. And of course, we're on Twitter and Facebook as Saving the Game as well. And if you go to our Twitter or our website, which is stgcast.org, again, for those who maybe missed it the first time, you can join our Discord community. We've got a bunch of new people who've joined this past week, and it's been great. There's been all sorts of discussion, people finding games and asking questions, and just a remarkably helpful community. The regulars are such nice, welcoming people, too. They're so. great. You, got, you are all awesome people. Fantastic. Yeah. Do not fear our Discord community. You are wasting your time with that fear. Exactly. <laughs> All right. We're going to let Jenny feed her cat something other than her own flesh. <laughs> She's eating my binder and yarn. Okay. We're going to go rescue supplies from, from Jenny's cat. Everybody have a good one. Take it easy. We'll catch you next time. See you later, folks. See ya. This has been a production of Saving the Game. All episodes are produced and published under a Creative Commons 4.0 attribution, share-alike license. Our logo is by Ruben Smith-Zemple of 3d6design.com. Our music is The Promised Place Beyond the Clouds by James Opie. You can find more of his music at nihilor.com. To hear our past episodes, to find syndication and license details, to connect with our fantastic listener community, or to contact us or support our show through Patreon, visit our website at stgcast.org or savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, do good, and happy gaming.